0: Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. We've been studying in the book of Luke for the last uh, several weeks, and we've been loving diving into Scripture. Last week, we looked at chapter 13, and we saw that repentance is our starting point, and how we also continue in our journey with Christ. We were made to bear fruit, and God is patient in delaying judgment for our sake. If you missed last week's sermon or any other sermon, I encourage you to just hop on our website and you can catch up there. Today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 21, and it's a Sabbath day, and Jesus is in the synagogue, and we find Jesus doing what Jesus often does, teaching others and healing. Now, today's story can almost be broken into two separate sections. Verses 10 to 17 can be seen as a healing story, and 18 to 21, Jesus tells two parables. And these two are completely connected. To truly understand the parables, we need to figure out what the main point of the healing story is. And from what we just heard from our scripture reading, it may be tempting to think it's about the Sabbath, the Jewish Holy Day. But as we dive into it, I think we will see it's about the kingdom of God and that will give us hope, especially for our city. So if you have your Bible open in front of you or on your phone, I encourage you to read along with us in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10. And just keep that Bible open uh, for the duration of our time, because we'll keep going back and referring to what scripture says. So let me begin in verse 10. On a Sabbath... Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Here we have Jesus teaching at a synagogue. This is where he begins his ministry in Luke chapter four. And this might be actually his final recorded teaching in a synagogue in the book of Luke. This would be a natural place for our rabbi to be teaching. Yet look who shows up in this text, in this story. Here's this woman who has been crippled for 18 years, and I can't even imagine how difficult her life must be. Imagine being bent completely over, not being able to move around fast. She probably spent lots of time at the doctors, with medical professionals, and I can't even imagine uh, how hard her daily life would be. Just things around the home, uh, going and preparing food and imagine if she had kids how difficult that would be to even uh, just manage life in that state Yet, I think there's something even more of a challenge there as well in a culture that wouldn't have valued her She would have been mocked and laughed at especially by little kids going on by on the street and More than that. and I think this could be the toughest part many people would have seen her condition There would have been a cultural belief around this, that sin had brought her condition upon her, that she was responsible for her illness. She was a social outcast. Yet the social outcast chooses to go to synagogue that day. In today's terms, she may be that, you know, a homeless person or someone with mental health challenges who shows up at church and the average person doesn't know what to do with them. So they kind of avoid them, they don't engage with them, And it just creates a greater social distance and isolation. Yet look how Jesus responds. In verse 12, When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Just four things here. He singles her out. He sets her free. He touches her. And she immediately praises god i wonder for someone who was a social outcast like her when jesus called her forward was she fearful was she scared of being singled out and mocked or was she excited at jesus at what jesus was about to do it's interesting also to see when jesus calls her forward uh, he immediately heals her and also places his hand on her now There's no mention of demon possession or anything like that in this passage. But we do see that Jesus has the authority over sickness. Yet he also does something else in that moment that you're not really supposed to do. He touches her. There are many cultures in the world today where touch between those of the opposite gender, it's just a faux pas. It's something you shouldn't do. Yet it's interesting to see how Jesus often breaks the rules. And he often does it. So why? To care For those on the margins. He touches lepers, he touches women, he eats with tax collectors, and I think we will understand why he chooses this grouping of people the more we explore the text today. And if there's a delight in her heart, she explodes in joy and praise and worship after 18 years of suffering. And we see this all over scripture. When Jesus heals different people, we see them rejoicing and praising God. We see the hearts that are soft toward God immediately respond in worship. I mean, worship and thankfulness is just kind of a natural response. If I give my wife a gift and it's something she doesn't like, she just keeps digging around in the gift bag looking for the gift receipt. But if it's something she really likes, she's, she's overflowing with joy and thankfulness and you don't have to cue anyone to do and say thank you in those moments. It just pours out of her soul. And we see this worshiper of God in the synagogue immediately being healed of 18 years of suffering, just overflowing with joy and thanksgiving and praise to God. Yet at the same time, if you want to see the one guy whose heart wasn't exactly overflowing with praise, let's check out verse 14 and what I'll dub the grumpy synagogue leader. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Like, wow, how grumpy. This woman has just been transformed after 18 years of suffering. And he has to go after that point. Yeah, something more interesting. Notice the passive-aggressive in nature. He doesn't talk to Jesus. I don't know if he's scared of Jesus or terrified of Jesus, but he tells the crowds off for something that Jesus has done. Yet, I kind of get his point. You see, the Sabbath wasn't an arbitrary rule. It was something that was part of God's design. We see it in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, it reads, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Why is that? In verse 11, it continues, For in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Jewish, the Mishnah and the oral traditions of the Jewish people spoke a lot about the details of the Sabbath. And I spent a fair bit of time reading through those this week, especially the Shabbat, which talks about the Sabbath in particular. And it's a beautiful book. But what had happened in Jesus' time was that often more energy was given to not breaking the Sabbath than to spending time reflecting about what the Sabbath was about. So Jesus responds in verse 15. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie an ox or donkey from your stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman... A daughter of Abraham, whose Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? I don't think Jesus subscribes to kind of Dale Carnegie's book about how to win friends and influence people, because starting a sentence off with you hypocrites doesn't usually win you many friends. But notice how Jesus it says it makes that a plural reference too. And he's he's talking to not just the synagogue leader, but all those who oppose him. And then he's going to make a classic Jewish argument from the less to the greater. You see, he's going to say, if your law allows you to feed your animals on the Sabbath, to give them life-giving water and care for them, what about this woman? Eighteen years of suffering, your own sweat and blood, the day. Sabbath is a day of rest. It's a day of restoration. And what better way to celebrate the Sabbath than the restoration from 18 long years of suffering. The synagogue leader also missed another point as well. Jesus was there when the Sabbath started. He was there when the universe was created. The synagogue leader failed to see that Jesus, as he says in Luke 6, was Lord of the Sabbath. He spoke to him as if he was a misguided teacher, when in fact he was the Son of God. Jesus continues in verse 17. When when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Hmm. His opponents are humiliated and the crowds are on his side, but that won't last for too long. It's interesting, when he, Jesus begins his ministry in the book of Luke, and we've read this often, it starts in Luke 4 with a reading of the scroll from Isaiah. He, re, he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has come to set the oppressed free. This woman who was crippled for 18 years is exactly the type of person Jesus has come for. The main point in the f- from verse 10 to 17 isn't a teaching about the Sabbath, but it's another example of who is responding to the kingdom of God breaking into this world. Yet some of you might be asking, how do we come to the conclusion about the kingdom of God when it doesn't even mention that word in the passage? Well, let's read ahead to the next couple of parables. In verse 18, Then Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he said, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the dough. What is the kingdom of God like? And what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's the same question being asked in each story. The two parables should shed light on what the kingdom looks like. So, what's the point in each of these two kingdom pictures? And I'm thankful to Kent Hughes and Alex, Alistair Begg for their wisdom and insight here. Let's just entitle these the Seed, Seed Power and the Yeast Power. The mustard seed might be a very tiny seed to begin with, and it doesn't grow into a tall tree, but the mustard seed was argued by some scholars to be the largest plant grown from seed. The kingdom of God is like the smallest seed. It has a humble origin, but it grows into something big. It's surprisingly big for something that starts off so small. Yet, what about this yeast power? Uh, who has yeast anyways these days? It's like the hardest item to find in the grocery store. Yet, for those who do have it, and this in the story too, there's this woman is using 60 pounds of flour. So once again, an item that's impossible to come by these days. For those of you who have yeast and more of us have been baking these days and, you know, comfort baking and gaining weight, that's kind of how the world is working these days. Once you mix your yeast in with your flour, you can't see it anymore. But you see its effect. The kingdom of God is like yeast. You may not see it clearly, but it's there and it's working. It permeates from the inside and transforms the whole dough. there's something... Delightfully subversive about these parables. The crowds are wondering when the Messiah will sweep in and overthrow the Roman Empire. The synagogue rulers of the day assume we, they will have an important part to play in this inbreaking kingdom. Yet, who does? When we look back at this healed woman just standing there, we see a perfect picture of the kingdom of God. It's like a seed. It has a humble beginning. Yet that doesn't prevent it from impacting the world. It's like yeast. You may not be able to see it clearly, but it's there and in the midst of everything. And it's transforming lives. This is the kingdom of God. This is his upside-down kingdom. And this woman we see in Luke 13, this one who has been healed from 18 years of suffering, is a perfect picture about the kingdom of God and a perfect picture of the demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God. It's not the ruling elite, the Harvard grads, those who we deem to be wise. So who is it? As Jesus said earlier in Luke, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. God will use anyone in his kingdom. But throughout the book of Luke, we see it over and over again. God is calling the marginalized. Lepers who were cast out of their city. Women who were deemed to be inferior. Tax collectors who were the scum of the earth. And he calls them to be his agents of change throughout the world. Think about it. When Jesus came to this earth, he was born in a barn. And the angels, the first people they told were these lowly shepherds. <laughs> who were the people that followed Jesus upon his call? Fishermen, who were kind of the bottom rung of society. When he proclaimed the good news, it was the disenfranchised and the broken, those who saw their great need for Christ, who responded to this call of the good news and began to follow Jesus. And don't forget, those fists, those outcasts are the ones who turn the world upside down. Even for myself, I often don't think that misfits and outsiders are the ones who are going to transform society. Yet, this is how God's kingdom power is often at work. If I'm going to be honest as I begin this Role with Pastor Andrew as co-lead pastor. Sometimes I just wonder, God, what are you up to in Canada? Is the gospel working? Will my, any of my friends actually respond to the call of the good news? Is it even worth it to preach and teach and have kids programs, ESL, Stevens ministry? Is it even worthwhile to be a pastor? Yet as I was preparing the sermon, I felt God rebuke and encourage me at the same time. His words of rebuke were simple. You misunderstood, Tim, you misunderstand how my kingdom breaks into this world. It's not your wisdom or leadership that's needed. Yet God also encouraged me. Keep your eyes open, for I am already at work. And get excited for how my upside-down kingdom will grow and seep throughout this entire land. That is our call at First Alliance, to partake with God's work in this world. And in that moment when I felt discouraged, I heard God's voice of rebuke and encouragement just lifted my soul, and I stopped. And I laid on the floor in my room, and I cried. And I worshiped God with shouts of praise. And in my brokenness, I recognized I was just like that woman who was healed, desperately in need of Jesus. When we, the church, rise up and follow the move of God's kingdom in this world, our country will be shaken, our city will be transformed, yet it may happen in all the subversive ways of God's kingdom breaking into this world. And that is something I want to be a part of, and something that we are all invited to partake with. So where do we go from here? Maybe a couple, four questions to consider. Number one, where do you need God to heal you like this woman, as we see in verse 12? Whether physical or spiritual or in some other way, where do you need God's kingdom to break into your life, work, or community? Seek and pray for that. From verse 13, is your heart soft? Is it set towards Christ so that it overflows and worship toward him. Thirdly. In what ways do you see. The kingdom already breaking into this world. And lastly. In what ways do you desire. To see his up down, upside down kingdom. Continue to transform our society. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Father. Father. Thank you for this beautiful, magnificent picture of your kingdom and this woman who suffered for 18 years yet was healed. And as your upside-down kingdom, one of power, one that starts off as a small seed, one that is yeast that permeates the whole dough, breaks into this world, Father, let us clearly hear your voice and partake in your work in this world. Thank you that your kingdom is at work and alive. Give us your eyes to see how you are at work and how we are called to participate with you. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.